Hey friends, welcome back to the table. I am your host, Michaela Bell, and today we're going to talk about sex and also the church. Yep, two things that you don't always hear lumped together, but if you've been hanging around this table for a little while, you know I'm not afraid to tackle topics that are much bigger than my five-foot-nothing frame. Uh, In my research for my book and the course, The Savvy Single, I began diving into the topic of sex, especially within the context of the church and how it's been handled over the years. And I've heard from hundreds of other single women at this point how much shame they feel surrounding this topic. And God has so beautifully designed sex to be more than a physical experience, and it's been perverted and polarized in such a painful way, not only in culture, but also in the church. And I want to help normalize talking about sex and the intricacies of intimacy and help people begin to remove the shackles of shame and hopefully point them in the direction of professionals that can lead to deeper healing. And it's a big topic, and I was not about to tackle this thing alone. In my research, I stumbled upon Dr. Celeste Holbrook. She is a sexologist, a speaker, and an author who has dedicated her life to helping women achieve soul-centered sex through planned mental and behavioral changes. I heard her talk about sex from a biblical standpoint that wasn't polarizing and wasn't weird. In fact, it was the opposite. And so when I thought about this podcast, she was the first person that came to my mind, and I'm honored to have her here. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Holbert, welcome to the table, girl. Thank you, Michaela. I'm ecstatic to be here. It's so fun. So fun. (laughs) I love it. Love it. Love it. I love this platform, and I kind of create this like a little virtual table in this little corner of the internet. So we're going to set the scene here. And if we were grabbing a real life table for two in your area, and we were in a pandemic, (laughs) what (laughs) restaurant would you be like, yo, Michaela, we have to meet here? Well, I don't know about you, but I eat a lot of vegetarian food. um, And so I would take you to the Spiral Diner down in the Magnolia District in Fort Worth. Mm. And um, I am a lacto-ovo vegetarian, but everything there is vegan. And – but – Vegan but delicious, like kind of like biblical but yeah. not weird. Vegan but delicious. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's so I think good. where we would pull up a pull up a chair and just it's kind of like a fifties diner scene. Mm. And so that's where we can imagine ourselves being. I I tend to make a lot of vegan recipes mm-hmm. at yeah. this point and vegetarian recipes, but yeah. So that, well, that's with really cool. You being Italian, like we eat a yeah. lot of Italian food because like the pasta is so rich and good mm. and can be the entree of, you know, we don't need meat necessarily when you have these beautiful pasta recipes. So, yeah. I know. I really love, I love being Italian. Although right now I'm doing Whole30. Have you ever heard of that? I I have. Good luck with that. (laughs) Godspeed, Michaela. (laughs) Every once in a while, I just really like to do a Whole30. It just resets me. But yeah. Anyways, um, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about sex today. But before, but first, just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from. A little bit more about what you do for a living. Sure. So I live in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm a sexologist, and that could mean a lot of different things. So let me tell you kind of what my days look like. Um, mm-hmm. I have a practice where I see people one on one or couples. Um, together. And I help people 
have better sex, more pleasurable and more connected sex. So my specialties include low libido, painful intercourse, and sexual shame. Those are the things that I work with the most, but I do Mm -hmm. see um, a variety of other things as well. Um, So I see people individually on Zoom. I've, I've had a virtual practice since 2019. So um, oh, sweet. yeah, I was lucky enough to already be virtual before, yeah. before the pandemic. But um, And then I also teach classes. So I'm a sex educator and I teach classes at my local sex toy store and I teach my own classes on my own platforms online. Um, and then I get called into places like churches or um, women's groups or mops groups or all over. I just... the weirdest thing is if you can think it, I've probably spoken there from the Alzheimer's association to the local sex toy store, to the the local, like most conservative church. Like I have been there. (laughs) That's so cool because that I feel like is not normal to be able to talk Mm. to both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that because I do, I do walk kind of this line. I get, I get pretty good negative feedback from both places and pretty good positive feedback from both places. And I'm fine with that because somebody Mm -hmm. needs to be able to bridge the gap between what we think is pure and what we think is wild and know that everybody is actually just in the middle. Yeah. Amen. Truth. (laughs) This is so good. Um, Is there a personal experience that led you to this being your career? Because I I tend to feel like just in learning people's stories that there's always this very personal story that led someone to their passion. Yes, for sure. <laughs> so I grew up in a fairly conservative town with very loving um, parents, but I was given the message that you should wait until you're married to have sex. Um, uh, sex being defined here as penis and vagina. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I did, I, I waited for, for penetrative sex until I was married. Um, got married in Austin in the morning because my daddy always said, if you get married in the morning, if it doesn't work out, you haven't wasted the whole day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so we got married in the morning, walked over to our little hotel, hotel room, uh, had tried penetrative sex for the first time and it was really terrible. It's really, really painful. And I thought, man, I thought this is what I was promised. I thought if I waited, sex would be good. And now I know that I I use that term to talk about the prosperity gospel of sex, the idea Mm -hmm. that if we do something, then we're automatically given goodness. And that's not necessarily true. Um, And so it was really painful for the whole first year of my marriage. And I did not know who to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I thought something was wrong with me. I felt an immense amount of pain and shame. I felt resentful of my husband for wanting to even touch me and hurt me. Mm. Um, and I wasn't sure we were going to make it simply because of this thing, which I understand later. Sex is, you know, one of the most powerful things between a relationship, right? Because, yeah. you know, if you're my friend and you and I were intimate, we'd have intimate conversations and whatever. But me and my spouse have sex. Like it is the defining factor. Yeah. Um, so after a year, I finally went and saw an OB-GYN. And um, to give you some context, the OB-GYN was the same OB-GYN who had delivered me. And this was 27 years later. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, he did a full examination, said, Celeste, I can't find anything physically necessarily wrong with you. I think what you need to do is just have a baby and that would make things better. And I thought, wow, that is not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> because a baby would not have helped anything. What I mean yeah. was somebody to hold my hand and say, listen, I know that you are feeling resentful and full of shame and pain. And this is like weaving through the fabric of your marriage. I needed somebody to help me through that part. Um, and then I needed somebody just to give me some basic sex, sex education, like spend more time in foreplay and arousal. So you mm -hmm. are ready for penetration, use a lubricant, like real basic things that I yeah. didn't know because nobody told me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I essentially, I was already working on my PhD. So I essentially started focusing on sexual behavior and I, I kind of became my own sex educator and was able to finally have penetrative sex without pain over time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I thought if I could learn it myself, I could probably help somebody else. And so that's kind of sprouted my career. And here we are 12 years later. <laughs> yeah. Isn't, I just always find that so fascinating. What, what drives people to, to their passion, to, to the thing that they, you know, were meant to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and I think too, within the Christian community, I know I experienced this and a lot of my friends, like once, once I, I was the first one married, I, I literally like walked off my graduation stage in college and walked into my wedding dress and there got go. married. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, because that's what you do. You know right. what I'm saying? Like right. you, that's just what you do. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and he was a Christian man. He was very involved in the church on the leadership team, like all of the things I thought I did everything right. And, um, there were other factors, um, that, that made sex really difficult. Mm -hmm. And and because it was verbally abusive and emotionally abusive, like I never felt safe with him outside of the bedroom. So mm -hmm. I for sure wasn't going to experience this amazing sex like in the bedroom. Right. So, but, but once all of my friends started getting married and having sex and everything, I just remember this one conversation between a whole group of us. And we're like, why did nobody tell us about like real sex and it, that, that it's not like the movies and the television shows and you're not immediately like this sex goddess overnight, <laughs> yeah. you know? So there's this lack of honesty that leads to, I think, so much shame, especially within, within the Christian community. Yes. It kind of, it kind of blows my mind. So that's why I love so much of what you're doing is just normalizing um and and just having a place where somebody can come to with questions i think that's so important to have that yeah absolutely there's no i mean we have this opportunity i feel like as uh, faith-based people we have this opportunity to lead a beautiful conversation and we don't take yes. it yeah why is that? <laughs> well, that's a whole semester long course yeah. on the history of <laughs> sexuality but yes it's we're missing out. And I wish we could. Yes, we are. I wish in 20 years, somebody might say, oh, you follow Christ, you're a Christ follower. You must know a lot about sex. That's what I wish. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I wish the same thing. So in the um, in the series that we're doing in the podcast, um, the number one topic 
that women had questions about were all concerning sex. That was the most common question that I heard from from single women. And in the like Christian community, we've talked about this. There's a lot of shame around this topic. And I believe it's led to unanswered questions, pain and struggle. And I see people afraid to admit their struggles. And so they go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And so how do we begin to start having healthy conversations about sex and singleness? I can tell you exactly how. So everybody who's listening, get a piece of paper and a pencil and pause the podcast and we'll wait. Okay. Okay. Now that you have a piece of paper and a pencil, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think in the future, if you could have a magic wand and we were in your future where you were having exactly the sex you were ha- you wanted to have, right? If Even if you're having sex now, doesn't matter. In the future, sex is exactly what you want it to be. How are you feeling? What are you feeling? You feel pleasure. You feel connection. You feel intimate. You feel fun. You feel playful. You feel erotic. Whatever it is, write those feeling words down. Once you have a list of feeling words, start to think about what do you do now to lead you to those feeling words in the future? Hmm. So if you want to feel pleasure, well, maybe you need to know a little bit more about your pleasure anatomy. If you want to feel connected, maybe you need to learn a little bit more about how to communicate your needs, wants, and desires. And you can do all of this without having sex if you don't want to have sex right now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you can do all of this. So that's where to start. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That makes me feel really good actually, because um, one of the things that I teach is I kind of go through some of the different things that you experience, like when, when sex is good, like pleasure and connection, and it's actually a form of worship, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that connectedness and ex- it's an experience. So then I go through and try to figure out how can you kind of fulfill some of those things outside of the context of sex so that you're, you know, experiencing some of those things um, instead of longing. Because I think that's one of the problems too, is when you don't have something and you focus so much on what you don't have, it almost like gets bigger. Mm, so true. <laughs> the ob- obsession of it gets gets so much bigger. But when you're, when you're fulfilled in life, like I was thinking the other day, I said this to one of my group of students, I was parasailing and I was not thinking, oh gosh, I'm single and it's annoying that I can't have sex right now. No, because I was <laughs> fully embraced in this experience of like yes. looking at the ocean and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Yes. So learning how to fulfill some of those things in other ways, I think can actually help you. Is that weird or is that like, oh my gosh, no, that is not weird. This is what I'm teaching people who do struggle with their sex life, right? Is mm. Term sensuality because sensuality is literally just the use of your senses. It really has nothing specifically Ooh. to do with sex. So if you look at a toddler sitting in the grass, they are incredibly sensual creatures. They are picking mm-hmm. up the grass, they're putting it in their mouth, they're tossing it up in the air and watching it, they're smelling it, right? They are using their senses. And so you parasailing and looking at the brightness of the waves and feeling the wind on your cheeks and Mm -hmm. feeling the like little jump in your belly about how high you are, that is sensuality. So the more Mm -hmm. that you can practice that and feel that in your everyday life, uh, the more accessible sensuality in your sex life will become. And the other thing I love about sensuality as kind of a side note is 
when you sink into your body, and this is probably something that you teach in your course, when you sink into your body and experience your senses, you can no longer experience anxiety about the future or the past because you can only experience your senses in the presence in present. So in, in my opinion, that's where, where God is, right? He is the great I am. So sinking into sensuality brings you into holy presence. So how you view sex, I think has a lot to do with what you learned as a kid and what your narrative was around sex and how it was presented to you, how it was talked about to you. Do you think it's important to go back and examine that at all? I do. I do. Because until we go back and kind of deconstruct what you have in our backpack, I always look at it like this. We all carry around a backpack. And in that backpack are messages. We're going to specifically talk about sex, but messages for for all things, right? Of what we were told kind of growing up and, and into adulthood. So what's important if you're going to climb this mountain of life or sex is that you take the time to take the backpack off and take everything out. And some stuff you got to put back in like trauma. You can't ever get rid of that. Right. But you can put it from the top of the backpack down closer to your hips. Right. So it doesn't Mm. feel so heavy. Some of the stuff you can take out and leave and put in the garbage bin yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and carry on a little bit lighter. So looking at your previous messaging around sex is like taking a look into your backpack and seeing what you can shift around um, and manage better and then seeing what you can let go of so it no longer weighs you down. Yeah. What do you recommend for people who have maybe, like you said, ex- have experienced some some trauma or just some really heavy messages that maybe they got uh, in childhood. I mean, I am always like pushing people toward professionals and practitioners and therapists and everything. But um, is that what you would recommend? Like if you have some deep trauma, definitely talking to someone. Yeah, absolutely. Talking to a trauma specialist if you have deep trauma. Um, And we talk in terms too of like capital T trauma and lowercase t trauma. So an example of a lowercase t trauma might be like the fact that you were never told about sex at all. Maybe, maybe like me, I come from a li- really loving home and actually my parents did talk to me about sex in a very positive light, but still with a message that you should wait till you're married. But my community did not and my mm-hmm. school did not, right? Um and so we as sexologists still still understand this to be lowercase t trauma because the the implicit messages that are not given um, still are messages, right? It's that we don't talk about sex. Sex is shameful. Sex is dangerous. Sex is dirty. Sex is whatever it is. When we don't talk about it, there's still a message there. So you might consider that like a lowercase t trauma. When nobody ever told you anything about sex, that still is a message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. That's very, very true. Yeah. So de- and then sorry, was- definitely talking to, sorry to interrupt, but definitely talking to a professional about any kind of trauma and doing some, I love to recommend inner, inner child work to just give compassion to that earlier version of yourself. Yeah, for sure. And then obviously the capital T trauma is like, yeah, big stuff, big stuff. Yeah. Like, like sexual abuse and um, neglect and things like that. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and is that something that, that you do like within your practice? So I think of myself as um, like a a step 
sideways from the trauma work. So if somebody comes in with like sexual trauma, um, I refer them to a trauma specialist first because somebody needs to understand their trauma and learn how to manage their trauma. And then I can teach them how to have sex again. It's like if you broke your leg, you need to go see the emergency room doctor first to set your leg and get the cast and whatnot. Um, And then I'm kind of like the PT that comes in and says, okay, here's how you lose your crutches. Now here's how you walk and here's how you establish a, a uh, health again, right? Um, so that's kind of the way I see our work together. I have a lot of trauma specialists that I refer to. Um, and then, you know, once you've kind of managed or understand your triggers for trauma, then you can start learning how to have sex again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there was something that you talk about and um, uh, about having sex ethics. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me exactly what that is? And are ethics like unique to each person? Or what exactly is that? Yes. Sexual ethic is unique to each person. And when we don't feel great about our sex life, it might be that we are unclear about what we do and don't desire for sex. Um, So finding your sexual ethics, another term might be sexual integrity. Um, Mm -hmm. Finding your sexual ethics may mean that you dig a little deeper or do some informed decision-making to help you figure out what you do and don't want for your own sexuality. Um, So sexual ethics means that you get to decide um, how you want your sex life to go and to look like, and it's not directed by dogma or religion or parents or these other things. It's something that you have discerned, right? And discernment Mm -hmm. for me is a triangle of science, scripture, and the way Holy Spirit works within my body. So that's discernment for me. Ooh, that is so good. Thanks. I like that triangle. <laughs> that, that's really good. Yeah. I think um, a lot of times people's sex ethics are really based on um, either what the church has said or what your parents have said. And it's almost like some of those things can be shackles for people and they really don't know how they as an individual feel. And one of the things I talk about in my course is like, I'm, I don't stand in front of people and say like, this is what you should believe, like pointing the finger. I think it's really an individual thing. And um, and like, like I, that's probably why I like your discernment triangle so much. Um, because I think just like your faith is incredibly unique, I, I believe that it should be incredibly unique. So should a lot of other decisions in your life. Um, and we're constantly looking, and I think in singleness, that single women, especially within the Christian community, are kind of looking for answers, like very black and white answers of, yes, do this, don't do this, or um you know, I, I don't know, but I just feel like singles in the Christian community struggle so much with being shackled to everyone else's thoughts and concerns about sex. Right. I couldn't agree more. Black and white thinking about sex is a lot easier. I do do this. I don't do that. And it takes very little self-discernment. Self-discernment is harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when things are hard, we look to... um figure out what everybody else is kind of doing and saying. And what happens is because sex is the one thing we don't get educated about growing up, it becomes really hard to build a sexual ethic with no information. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So you turn to black and white Mm -hmm. because it's easier. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so during someone's single season, if they've made a decision to wait, do you have any advice for helping them work through their desires in a healthy way? Because we all have them. Or maybe somebody who, like myself, you know, I'm I'm divorced. And so you go from having sex, even if it wasn't great, you, you still were getting some. <laughs> and then you're single again and your drive doesn't go anywhere. Uh, in fact, I think it like increases. So what kind of advice would you give to somebody who is wanting to wait, but is struggling with their desires? Yeah. Well, one of the things you said earlier that I think I want to kind of talk about more specifically is that, you know, I love how in your courses, you're not like, this is the way, this is not the way, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, I, yep. I think that approach too, I think it's the ethical approach for most practitioners is for the information to be out there and for you to leave with a few more questions than you had and for you to trust yourself more mm. than you trust me as the pr- practitioner. That is my job. Yeah. So what I will tell you is that for seasons of singleness and working through desires, you have to kind of understand what you're most comfortable with. So start with that long-term question, what do I want to feel eventually? And what can I do now to help me feel that eventually? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have something too, right? Where you can kind of like, it's like a service that you offer where if someone is struggling with, I don't really know, but I kind of want to be able to define some of that for myself. Do you have a service where they can work through that with you? Yes, for sure. So I take, um, I take people on individually, but I also host a group coaching course for specifically for single women who are learning, who are, um, looking to define their own sexual ethic to pose the questions to help you move forward with clarity instead of being lost and like, should I do this? Should I not do this? So that define your own sexual ethic. So it's just like a more, um, a collected version of questions and education so that you can know everything you need to know so that you can make informed decisions. So that group coaching course is something I take about eight women through um, every, not every four weeks, but I do it about four times a year. So um, that's, it's actually super, super fun because you get to be with other women who are in your stage of life. Usually it's 20, 30s and um, you kind of get to define with your friends, your own sexual ethic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that is really important. Again, it just helps to normalize the conversation. One of the things I that I talk about, like when sometimes when people ask me questions that, again, I don't want to be this like yes or no kind of person. I just ask them questions of that I think that will help them come to their own conclusion. Um, you know about different things. Like, does it lead to other things that are traps for you? Um, like, how do you feel afterwards? Like, I, I just think women have this incredible gut feeling, like intuition, like that women's intuition, um, that I'm just trying to help women like tap into a little bit more to just trust yourself and know that, um, you kind of know. Yeah. And you just need to learn how to trust, how to trust yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I think our intuition is, is Holy spirit, right? I think it is the the way that, and that's that third part of the triangle is listening to how you feel and, and being able to take off that backpack and go, okay, what's in here 
what messages are in here about masturbation? Right. Um, and are they shame-filled? And if they're shame-filled, are they from love? Right. Yeah, that, that's a powerful question. So um, do you think like, – how, how do you think that as individuals we can continue to help um, within the Christian community? Do you think it's always going to be this way? Or like what can we do to help little by little make changes in the church? Yeah. Um, be willing to talk about the hard stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do, if you are vulnerable in that way, people will show up. <laughs> Let me tell you, yeah. I have said words from a pulpit that have never been spoken from a pulpit before and people still show up. So listen, <laughs> don't be afraid to ask the hard questions because, you know, everybody's faith is evolving, whether they want to think about it or not, and whether you choose to step on the wagon or not, but everybody's faith is evolving. And so you showing up and saying, I'm not sure how I really feel about sex, or I'm not sure how I really feel about touching myself, or I'm not sure about sex toys. I don't know, whatever it is, be willing to show up and have that hard conversation. And that's how we move this whole thing forward and how we progress and how we let go of those messages in our backpack is that we all show up together and say like, well, listen, I'm not sure either. Let's start looking into it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a really great point. So just kind of starting the conversation. What is the craziest thing you've ever said from a pulpit? Anal sex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can just imagine people's faces. Yeah. I was... Yeah, it's a that's actually a pretty funny story. But yes, anal sex is probably the the one that I have said from the pulpit. But I've said clitoris and vagina and penis, and that's pretty normalized. But um, but yeah, can you tell the story, or is it not appropriate? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, now I kind of want to hear it. <laughs> um, it's funny to me, um, and I, it's. <laughs> So I was asked to do a presentation with three other pastors um, about pornography and thing and um, sexuality and how to take a love-based approach to these things. And so I was really, mm-hmm. I felt privileged. So um, this, this presentation was being recorded and it was going to be sent out to a whole bunch of churches. And um, so I practiced and I made sure I was like, I mean, my thing was like, tight, like my presentation was good. <laughs> and, um, you know, the three other pastors went before me, all male, um, mostly white. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I stood up there and I did my thing. And like the three pastors in the front row are just like wide eyed. <laughs> and, um, one of them caught me afterward and he's like, wow, you really laid it all out there. I'm like, I'm a sexologist. What do you expect me to say? They're like, we're really impressed that you said anal sex from the pulpit. I'm like, thanks. (laughs) I'm like, the fact that it takes like this, you know, (laughs) loud mouth Texas white girl to come up there and lay it all out. Like, so be it. Let's just burn it down. (laughs) Yeah, for real. I love that. And there was something that you said that actually reminded me of. So I've I've heard you talk about it before, the difference between like loved-based and shame-based. Can you expand on that? For sure. Um, I'm an educator at heart. My PhD is in health education with a post-emphasis postgraduate emphasis on sexuality. So education is like my jam. I love curriculum development. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you look at the ways in which we learn the best, Mm -hmm. um, 
any topic, any topic. A positive, shame-free approach or a love-based approach is traditionally, statistically, in every measure, more effective. Unfortunately, we have taken a shame-based approach to sex education for far too long in and outside of the church, right? It, in even in public school education, it's you're going to get an STI, you're going to get pregnant, and this is how to not. Um, and so it is not a positive approach. It's not like people have sex because it feels good 97% of the time, not because it makes babies. Um, mm. So a shame-free approach or a love-based approach to sex education for me Um, is looking at the Bible and saying, what does it say positively about sex? And so Mm -hmm. I have a whole curriculum developed around Song of Solomon because Song Mm -hmm. of Solomon hits all of the basic and um, complicated needs in sex from sexual positions, sexual uh, anatomy or physical things in sex to safety, to belonging, Mm -hmm. to worth to pleasure to sexual actualization right from the bottom all the way to the top song of solomon gives us a best practice for sex and nobody is talking about how we could use this possibly for sex education scriptural sex education instead of the piecemeal together um negative approach to sex that actually is ineffective right right yeah i think shame always shuts you down, or at least I feel like anytime I've been in a situation where I felt shame, you, your whole body, like your whole system just shuts down. And I've always found it so, um, like interesting the way that I think a lot of Christianity or, you know, churches have this shame-based approach and it doesn't even make sense. (laughs) And I love what you said too, from just like the biblical perspective of it. And I mean, I've read Song of Solomon too. And I mean, I literally, it is so erotic. It is. And people want to make it not erotic, like, oh, it's a, an analogy for the relationship. No, no <laughs> I know. <about> sex. <laughs> yeah. Like she even says, like, come eat from, you know, pick the fruit from my garden. Like, hello, yes. what do you think that means? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of obvious. <laughs> yeah, he's talking about like putting his hand in her in her doorway and it being wet. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. For sure. And God created our bodies correct in this way. And so and he doesn't like look down and be like, "Whoops, you know, like he he created things perfectly and he knows your desires and I think that the more that we can be honest with them and be honest with ourselves, be honest with God. I've always found that God responds to my honesty. Like the biggest breakthrough moments I've had in my faith were when I've literally written out of my journal, like, God, I don't trust you in this area. And I feel bad saying that, but I'm just going to be really honest. And those are the moments where I feel like God comes in and it's almost like he's like, thank you mm-hmm. <laughs> for finally talking about what was really bothering you. Yeah. You just know? like in any relationship, when you become vulnerable and say, I just don't know, or I'm not feeling good about this or whatever, that's when growth happens. It's not when everything is like peachy keen and you know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so maybe if someone's listening to this and they're – um, maybe they're, they've waited for sex, right? And they're, maybe they're engaged and they're like getting ready to be married. Yeah. Um, I think this could be so encouraging 
for them to hear some of this messaging because when when you're more realistic and when you have like a, a better understanding of what to expect, um, I think it's it helps you to not be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But would you give anybody any advice um, for if they're married right now and it's not great? What advice would you give them? Where where should they start? Okay. If you're married right now and sex isn't great, start with understanding your body. For example, women need around, or people with vulvas, we'll say, need around um, 13 to 20 minutes Mm -hmm. to reach full arousal so that you can feel comfortable with penetration. Um, So that means do non-penetrative activities for at least 13 to 20 minutes. And if you're having a hard time um, with your partner not wanting to wait that long, make a lusty playlist where you make a playlist on your phone that lasts 13 to 20 minutes and don't have penetrative sex until you hear the first song again. <laughs> like make it fun. <laughs> yeah. Right? There, Our bodies are totally sensual. There's a lot of pleasure to be had, especially for women, because mm-hmm. women have their first and most of their orgasms through external clitoral stimulation, right? Mm-hmm. So your fun is on the outside typically. Um, so spend more time in arousal. Another thing to think about is that there are two types of arousal, responsive and spontaneous. So some women experience responsive arousal, which means that sex has to kind of begin before arousal shows up. So Mm. if that's you, you're like, man, I wonder why I never want to have sex out of the blue. That's okay. You're totally normal. You just experience responsive arousal, which means you might have to, you know, kind of get things started and then like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I remember this. I like this. I want this. Mm -hmm. That's okay. That's so good. Yeah. All these things are so important, I think, to learn and to even go into, you know, before you're married or if, if you're waiting Yeah, to have an understanding of all these different things and that, you know, some people don't ever reach climax. And I think it's like, I don't know, what is it? 10, 15% of women don't Don't. ever? Or or anorgasmia. Yeah. I don't know exact, the exact percentages. I've heard it up to 30% um, are anorgasmic, Um, but you can break that down to like with penetrative sex or not, Mm -hmm. or external or can have an orgasm with external penetration, but not penetration. So yeah. But yeah. yeah. Um, something that Michaela, you and I talked about before we started recording was that sex is a lot like food. Um, and this kind of is a, is a good analogy for, for having or not having orgasms is when you are incredibly orgasm focused in your sex life, it would be like focusing on the fact that you finished your food instead of enjoying the meal. Mm. (laughs) So like, Preach. yeah, an orgasm, it feels really good, right? But it does not last very long. And all mm-hmm. the things that go up to orgasm are usually the more fun, longer lasting, pleasurable things. So yeah. don't miss out on the food just because you're focused on getting it in your body. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but no, for real, that's such a good analogy. Yeah. Because it's very much, I think the world romanticizes that moment, you know, that, that climax or, or, you know, whatever. And, and it's seen in such a, a way that I feel like it's just not real, <laughs> realistic. And so, um, like knowing that you're normal 
and um, I think can help you, oh my gosh, tremendously. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a lot of this work is just normalizing this stuff. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. 100%. Which so I'm what so glad you- you're, you're having like these conversations on podcasts where people can listen in their earbuds and mm-hmm. not have to have a big book on the train that says like <laughs> learning how to have socks, you know? Um, so I just appreciate you for taking this like vulnerable opportunity to talk about something that really, really need to talk about. <laughs> mm. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I've, I've really committed to um, just being more open and honest um, in the uh, my uh, nonprofit that I run with my friend. We have this thing called, we call it being hot, humble, open, and transparent. Mm, I love that. And so, and I just like love this. We talk about hot friendships and hot conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it yeah, it works so for I, sex too. Hot sex, humble, hot open, sex. and transparent. Exactly. Absolutely. I love it <laughs> for sure. But yeah, that's why I wanted you know this podcast and this platform and the book or anything I create. I I just want to be as vulnerable as I can um, to help people know that they're normal and it's okay to have questions and it's okay to explore even, even your faith. I think a lot of people are afraid to ask hard questions and you should ask them and you should explore. Like God is not afraid of the hardest question that you have. Absolutely not. If you could go back, like knowing everything that you know now, if you could go back in time and sit down at a table for two with your single self, what would you tell Oh, man. <laughs> um, I'd probably tell her not to worry about her body so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would tell her to enjoy things more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I probably wouldn't tell her much else because everything, every painful experience that I had led me to somewhere beautiful. Um, so – Mostly I just tell her not to worry about her body mo- as much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the sense of like how it looks. Correct. In the sense of how it looks. Yeah. 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 That, I have this one. I, I talk about redefining sexy um, and beauty because there's there's this measurement I think that the world uses where, you know, if you read the Bible and you, you hear God talk about you know, the internal aspect of what, what he sees as beautiful, which is the heart. Um, we spend so much money in this world on all this external stuff and, you know, very little money on internal, the the thing that actually does make us beautiful. And, you know, we hide when we're going to therapy, um, but parade around the new Louis Vuitton bag that we just bought. And there's nothing wrong with buying a Louis Vuitton bag. Like you go girl. Um, but I also think we should talk about therapy or, you know, how we're working on ourselves from an internal perspective. And when I began to do that, uh, I felt way more beautiful mm-hmm. in an external way. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. I And you can't really, you can't really know it until you get there, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just can't really know it until you get there. But it's so true that internal work is the most meaningful. Yeah. And we need to be willing to to spend some money, I think, there <laughs> too. I mean, amen. <laughs> right? I just am like, oh, man, people are oh, it's so expensive. Therapy is expensive or this is expensive. 
I'm like, but, but what? Yeah. Also walking through your life insecure is really expensive. <laughs> yes. Amen. Yeah. It's, it's so, so true. So mm. is there anything you want to leave everyone? Just like one last treat from you. Yeah. Um, use lubricant. Amen. Do you have any brands you recommend? (laughs) Yeah, I love I love um, Pure and Wicked. Those are great brands, especially if you're looking for a water base that doesn't have like a like a totally ratchet ingredient Mm -hmm. deck. Like (laughs) um, PJUR is Pure, and they have a really great water based lubricant that's um, good for your vagina. Um, And just uh, as a side note, remember. Um, that you may be feeling aroused, but not wet. And that is okay because mm-hmm. a lot of things um, impact your arousal, like yeah. antihistamines. They dry you up in your nose. They're going to dry you up in your vagina. So it's okay. Arousal's in your head, not in your vaginal mm-hmm. lubrication. <laughs> oh man. So many good, so many good <laughs> nuggets here. Um, where can people find you? Like what's your IG, Facebook, website, or and where are you at mostly? Are you mostly on Instagram? Um, mostly on Instagram. Yep. Mostly on Instagram. So Dr. Celeste Holbrook on Instagram, Dr. Celeste Holbrook on Facebook and Dr. Celeste Holbrook on the website.com. <laughs> I love it. And they can, um, book with you right on the website, right? Yes. If you want to chat, um, book a complimentary discovery call. We'll, we will chat for 30 minutes and then I can kind of point you in a direction of what might be best for you. Either that's books or that's one-on-one consulting or a course that I offer or a course that somebody else offers. I'm just going to tell you the truth of like, yeah, you're not a good fit for me or yeah, you are a great fit for my stuff. So, um, yeah, get on my schedule for a call. Let's chat. I love it. Well, hopefully you guys, um, loved this conversation as much as I did. Thank you so much for being hot, being humble, <laughs> open, and transparent with me. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely, Michaela. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, my friends. <laughs> what did you think of today's conversation? I know that maybe it wasn't an easy one to either listen to you may have had some uncomfortable moments and sometimes those uncomfortable moments can really teach us a lot because my question for you is why did you feel uncomfortable is there a narrative that you have around certain aspects of sex sensuality that you have a message on that is shame-based or maybe you have a lack of understanding just explore those things and I'm grateful that we have a community here on this podcast that is really looking for um, more real conversations and less surface and people that are not afraid to talk about the more difficult topics. And so my hope and my prayer is that this leads you to continuing to normalize having conversations like this. I think it's really, really important, especially in the Christian community to begin to have more conversations around sex, talking about it when you're single and being able to ask questions, having safe conversations about it, I think is important. I believe that it will help in many ways facilitate healthier, uh, a healthier relationship with your sensuality, a healthier, um, uh, less shame-based conversation, more love-based conversation. So I would love to hear what you thought about today's conversation. 
feel free to share it on Instagram, tag me at Michaela Bell, and also definitely tag Dr. Celeste. And let's continue the conversation. I love you all. I appreciate you for being here. Thank you for being so willing and open to have humble, open, and transparent conversations. We'll see you guys next time at the table.